Womanzy News embarks on its third decade as the only global nonprofit news organization reporting on the most crucial issues impacting women and girls around the world so that we may continue to shape how women and girls are represented in the media toward creating a more equitable world that honors, respects, and supports the lives of women and girls by seeking the truth and reporting it, acting independently with accountability and transparency. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Kimberly Peeler Allen, and I am the board chair of the ERA Coalition. When I first heard of the ERA Coalition uh, or the, the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, it was a punchline in a sitcom in the late 80s um, that, oh, you know, something feminist, something, something, and the, the ERA is, all, you know, is dead, uh, something along those lines. And I hadn't really heard or thought about it since. And I came to the coalition um, not because it was something that had been burning in my mind that we must have the Equal Rights Amendment uh, codified into the Constitution, but I came to it as we have to use all the levers that we possibly can to bring equality and equity to women and girls and particularly Black women. I really started to understand the impact and really looking at uh, wage inequity and just the ability to have equal protection under the law. And, you know, you see all of these laws that really address gender um, in very specific ways. They have to really articulate gender coverage uh, because the Equal Rights Amendment is not in the Constitution. You have to have rulings coming out of the Supreme Court, like the Bostock decision, that protects uh, gender expression and transgender rights because the Equal Rights Amendment is not in the Constitution. And the important thing about the Equal Rights Amendment, it's not just women. It is you cannot discriminate because of sex. So it can be you know put looked at from the man's perspective, where uh, men historically, I mean, up until probably the last 10 years, were not given um, family leave when their spouse or their partner had a child. They were not given that paid leave. They would have to spend use their vacation time, but it was not seen as something that, that men should do to take time off to be with their growing families. The same thing goes for women, pay equity, paid family leave. Um, you know, there, there are all sorts of things around our autonomy and our ability to really exercise our full potential in our society that the Equal Rights Amendment will support, affirm, emphasize, and give government and the legal process something to lean against and say, you cannot discriminate. You can't, you have to pay equitably. You have to make sure that women, that all people are protected from domestic violence and, and cannot be penalized because their partner or is an abuser and they have, you know, custody issues. There's a horrible case in Colorado many, many years ago where a domestic violence victim had no rights to put a restraining order or have the restraining order upheld. And her husband ended up kidnapping her daughters and killing them. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And 
that is one of those cases that we point to directly and saying these are the things that would protect people uh, across you know across the gender spectrum uh, in their day to day lives and. You know, when I think about what is needed now, there are so many band-aids and, you know, I, I say it, it, it's the paperclip and band-aid um, fixed to all of these pieces uh, that really would just um, be, you know, irrelevant if we actually had the Equal Rights Amendment. And Black women, um, I personally put myself involved in the organization because the the conversation around equality and the women's movement um, and Black women in particular is is strained. You know, we know this from from history. There's uh, you know, Black women have been part of the conversation, but haven't necessarily gotten the praise or the accolades that uh, that they deserve. In some respects, they were pushed out of the movement. Or, or pushed behind. We've seen our uh, our lesbian sisters, uh, you know, marginalized in the movement overall. And I think there is just an it, it is important for us to all play a role in revamping the narrative and saying we're going to take our place in this movement. And as a Black woman, I've said, I want to be part of the conversation to make sure no one is left behind and make sure that all voices are heard and that we can't sweep the, the contributions of Black women under the rug in, in this critical moment, because we know, you know, who are, who are the most marginalized? It's women of color, Black women, Indigenous women. And th- so they should be at the forefront of the fight to make sure that everything that is moving forward is actually beneficial to their communities. Because we know if we fix the harm that is is happening in the most marginalized communities, it is better for everybody. So that's how I came to this work, why I continue to do this work. I see it as an opportunity to you know, use yet another lever to make sure that uh, Black women and their families and their communities not just survive in this country, but actually thrive and achieve the promise that America has, has, has given to all of us in our founding documents. I was going to ask you to briefly tell the story of the ERA, what, what, how it came about, what women were looking for. So the Equal Rights Amendment was drafted by Alice Paul and, and a few other women right after the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote passed and was codified. And those women saw this, saw the right to vote as one piece of it. You know, to be fully fully seen uh, as full citizens, you need the right to vote and you need equal protection. And so, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier about the the you know the band aid and paperclip, they saw like okay, the fact that we had to actually have a an amendment to the Constitution allowing women the right to vote is an example of that band aid and paperclip. But if we have full protection of the Constitution, under the Constitution, then we can be truly be full citizens. And, you know, exercise, at that point in time, it was, you know, conversations around land rights, uh, you know, succession, um, what a woman could, could and could not do on her own, and what she needed a man to be able to do. I remember my mother even telling me, that she couldn't get a credit card because she was unmarried when she, uh, when she got her first job and she was able to get a store credit card, but she couldn't get a visa card at the time. And that was in the, in the early sixties. Um, so these are, these are things that were, 
you know, part of the the process and part of, of life. And Alice Paul and others saw the amendment as an opportunity to really um, move the needle. So it was introduced into Congress many, many times over many, many years. Um, we're actually coming up in March on the 50th anniversary of it passing out of the House and Senate. So to amend the, con- the U.S. Constitution, it has to pass out of the House and the Senate with two-thirds votes in both chambers, and then it goes to the states for ratification. And you must get 38 states to to ratify uh, for it to become a part of the Constitution. The interesting thing about the Equal Rights Amendment is that when it was originally introduced, wanted to get it to move, someone put a time limit on the amendment that it had to be fully ratified within seven years of the passage out of uh, out of Congress. There have been a handful of bills, uh, a handful of amendments that have had this, but the majority have not. And the 27th Amendment actually took 100 years before it was codified. So to have a seven-year, uh, it was 100 years from the time that it passed out of um, out of Congress to the time it was codified. So to have a seven-year time limit on the Equal Rights Amendments, you know, gives you a little pause about, well, what what were they trying to prevent from happening? Hmm. So it got to the seven-year time limit, and I think they were at... I think they were at like 35 states, and they were able to get an extension under President Carter in the late 70s to try and get these last, the last three states. And unfortunately, they weren't able to do it. So it was considered, you know, go to the sitcom that I was watching when I was in uh, middle school uh, that made the joke about the ERA is dead. Um, But there have been many constitutional scholars that have said, you know what, this, um, this time limit is artificial and uh, capricious and you know, shouldn't be followed. And Pat Spearman, who is a state senator in Nevada, uh, when she, while, she, while she's still in office, but she decided that that was going to be her thing, that she, as, as a Black woman, uh, a veteran, a member of the LGBT community, a member of the clergy, she said, I have paid my dues to this country. Uh, and there are millions of women who have done the same and they need full constitutional uh, equality. And I'm going to try and get Nevada to pass. And because she was a student of her chamber and knew the, lo- the rules inside and out, she was able to get it passed. Uh, with bipartisan support out of the Nevada chamber. The interesting thing about Nevada is it is one of two state legislatures in this country that are majority women. So, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting little side fact. So after Nevada was ratified, Juliana Stratton and others in the state of Illinois decided, you know what, we're going to try and be next as well as, uh, Jennifer Carol Foy and uh, Jennifer McClellan in Virginia said, you know, we're going to be next. And they were in a battle of who was going to be able to move the, the ball forward in their state first. Illinois had a Democratic majority 
in their state legislature, and they were able to also pass it uh, with bipartisan support. And in 2020, in Virginia, they Virginia became the 38th state. So now we are at the point of saying, well, how do we get rid of this time limit? Because we have the 38 states. Actually, at the end of this month, January 27th, we are celebrating the anniversary of the Virginia ratification. And under the the rules of codifying and amending the Constitution, there is a two-year waiting period after the last state ratifies before the law is implemented. So you're also going to see a lot of action of people operating under the assumption that the Equal Rights Amendment has been codified because it has been ratified by 38 states and is the law of the land. So I think in some states, we will definitely see some things change. We are already seeing some states prepare um, by going through just their their statutes and looking at the gendered language and of the statutes and what are the ramifications of removing that gendered language. Uh, what are the inferences? How does this change? Not just you know we're referring to everyone as he, but you know what are the other things that are are tied to male members of our country that they now have to make open uh, to women as well. Um, so there's, it is a fascinating place of where we are, and you know, so many of uh, the women who, women and and men and allies who have been championing this, not just in. Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia, but there are other states that have not ratified. Uh, There are states that are saying, you know what, the Equal Rights Amendment is the floor. We want to expand this even even more to make it even more explicit that you cannot discriminate against anyone because of their sex or gender expression or or sexuality or sexual preference. You know, being very explicit in that language, there's things called, they're calling them the expanded ERA. So there's a lot of movement in this space. There are a lot of, of challenges, but um, I think the conversation really, you know, to your point about the the young women who are prepared or living their lives because they know that they don't have constitutional equality and what that means for their ability to uh, really uh, achieve all of their hopes and dreams is really disheartening. But I think there is such a commitment from so many to say, you know what, that that shouldn't be, and we're going to do all that we can so that you can really have, you know, really achieve the American dream. I'd like to talk a little bit about what the, the, the purpose of the ER, ERA coalition is and and how how it's effective to have people under this umbrella. The goal of the coalition is to create a big tent where we can exchange information about what's happening at the states, what's happening at the federal level, and then also be able to amplify the work of each other, as well as the work of the coalition, because we know many hands make light work. So the more organizations and individuals we have as part of the coalition, the louder we can become. And then using that national footprint to say, you know, we are a coalition of over 200 organizations all across the country that believe in constitutional equality. That really says something and really gets people's attention and continuing to grow that and be, be able to mobilize those members. Thank you again. And, uh, 
I, I very, very much appreciate your time. Okay. Of have course. a great day. And I'll, you too. I'll let you know when it becomes journalism. Thank you. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Women's Z News podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe. And to learn more about Women's Z News, please visit us at womensenews.org. It's completely free to subscribe.